everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, looking for my good buddy, Seth Robinson. Seth. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well. Got a nice chill in the air today. I'm feeling the uh, sun's out, feeling this ball in my step. It's uh, it's nice. Feeling yeah, good? I, uh, I'm feeling a little peppier than I was earlier in the week. I know you and I were talking, and I was like, you could probably like hear me on the phone. I was fading yeah, you know, you faster and faster. Little, yeah, you sounded a little dragging, I know, but maybe the weather can cheer you up. Maybe. I'm getting my uh, new booster today, so that might pull me back down. I'm expecting to be very sick tomorrow, Carolyn. You're not going to hear from me. I won't hear from you. Okay. Yeah, the booster's on my little to-do list. I saw an article today about how there's something remarkable about this new booster, and that in a good way. There were good remarkable, not bad remarkable. I didn't read the op-ed, though, so I got to get to it but and see what it is, but good luck with yours. Yeah, I'm assuming it's the bivalent thing, so they, you know, they've added in you know new things to kind of combat these new variants. Um, so that's uh -huh. like the new hotness with these ones is that they're bivalent. Um, okay. so that's supposed to be special. So we'll okay. see. Wow. We're really turning into um, uh, scientists here as we. As <laughs> we <laughs> we've all become armchair <laughs> epidemiologists. Yeah, we're epidemiologists and immunos immunologists or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, I miss my calling, I think. No. But, uh, no. So today we've got two folks joining us, which is very exciting. Um, so uh, we're doubling uh, doubling our occupancy here for Bali, and we've got two people from CompTIA. Uh, and I'll let you go ahead and introduce, if you'd like, Seth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've got some new research uh, that we just fielded uh, within the research team. And the person that actually fielded that is our colleague, Amy Corrado, who has been on the podcast before. Uh, sometimes actually, you know, hosting uh, if, if one of us yes. is, is missing. Uh, but Amy led this study. And so we're bringing her on to talk about the data. And then we have uh, Lorraine Borster, who is our vice president of sales for South Africa and the ANZ region and, and maybe some other regions, too. You know, we can have Lorraine uh, chime in and, and tell us everything that she's covering. And she can give us a little bit of perspective uh, from what she's seeing kind of in the field and, and with her clients around some of these topics. So Amy and Lorraine, welcome to the podcast. Really happy to have you. Thanks for having us. It's nice yeah. to be back. Good yes, thanks. well, now I get a chance, Amy, to thank you on, on camera here and, and for our audio audience as well for filling in for me when I had my appendix out. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so glad you're better now. Yeah, yeah, that was a weird one, but um, thanks for pinch hitting. Really appreciate it. Oh, sure. So. So and Lorraine, you're joining us from South Africa, but you're freshly returned from uh, a trip to Australia and New Zealand, right? The first one in uh, two and a half years. So it was quite nice to go back and visit our customers there. Um, I actually went with um, uh, with James from CompTIA, as you all know. Yep. Um, James and I attended a conference, a cybersecurity conference in Wellington in New Zealand. And I stopped off on the way in Sydney to visit some of our corporate customers and some of our training partners as well. It was a very enlightening trip um, talking to our customers. So I think I might have quite some interesting things to, um, to share today on our call. Great. That's awesome. That is fantastic. Well, why don't we kick off then and talk a little bit about the study itself is the business um, tech adoption and skills trends internationally, though. And and Amy, why don't you just tee it up a little bit and tell us about the study? Then we can talk about some of the findings. Yeah, sounds good. We're excited to uh, release this new study. It's actually an update to 
one we ran late 2019. It's a little different set of countries there, but um, some interesting results to, to see across all seven countries. We have um, Australia, Germany, Japan, Netherlands, Singapore, the UK, and the US. I think that's seven, right? So and it covers, we had over 1,000 business and technology executives and other professionals respond to the survey. You know, they had to qualify for it. So um, in a lot of areas, the overall results didn't actually change all that much compared to a couple of years ago, you know, pre-2020, um, despite the different set of uh, countries, but still some differences between countries. Um, and even, you know, because we covered a, a mix of industries, a mix of company sizes. So we're excited to share the new report. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a very broad report. It's kind of taking the temperature in a lot of different areas. And so maybe we'll start at a high level. Um, there, you know, there's this phrase that's run around. And I think, Carolyn, you and I have talked about this before on the podcast. But, you know, we, we have said often, like, every technology, every company is a technology company. And I, I think that that is a little misleading because every company is still dealing with their own core competency uh, and they're dealing with the questions there. But it's certainly snappier to say that every, every company is a technology company than to try to explain the whole thing. Technology is certainly becoming more strategic. So, you know, let's start there. You know, as companies are looking at their strategic objectives, uh, what are those objectives and, and how are they expecting to leverage technology? Amy, maybe we can start with you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, across the board, um, it was just about three quarters of the companies saying that technology is actually a primary factor for them in, re in reaching their uh, business objectives. Um, some, and then for most of the remainder, it was a secondary factor. Um, it might not be a surprise that for it's higher percentage more so for the large size companies, a little bit less for the SMBs, you know, the bigger they are, the more they're, they're relying on technology to meet those different strategic priorities. Some of the top ones being, for example, like improving efficiencies by implementing new systems, um, reaching out to new markets, you know, so, some of those top priorities, they're more so directly tied to technology, but some, some indirect, you know, marketing initiatives, the new markets, um, technology is just becoming more of a factor everywhere. Mm -hmm. And is that what you're seeing too, Lorraine? You're seeing people just lean more into technology to accomplish whatever it is they're trying to do uh, within their organization? I think most companies see technology, especially if they're not in a tech company, they see it as an enabler. Um, I think the best thing that happened in, in the world is that um, technology joined the C-class suite of executives. And that to me was really a great thing because, um, you know, especially non-tech companies, uh, the CEO and C-class suite executives don't always understand technology and how it affects. They see a proposal come through for a very large amount um, and they don't quite understand how it will affect their business. Um, so having somebody, a tech person in that in that environment has really made a big change. But I still see most companies um, not planning ahead, but really, um, you know, uh, doing what they need to do at a specific time. So the enabler is is really a big thing that I see, enabling you to do certain things. Yeah, I find that very interesting. When oh, go ahead, Amy. Phil, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was 
she brought up a good point. It was, um, and especially within the IT companies we saw for the, looking at different industries. Um, I think IT by far, the, you know, obviously um, the, the tech companies, they, they place more, uh, much more likely to say that technology is the primary factor. That's more like 84% for them. But, but interesting, you know, finance, banking and insurance, that was, you know, the second highest, also manufacturing too, but still across the board, no matter the industry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, Carolyn. Oh, no, I was just going to weigh in and, and say, I, I think that's very interesting, Lorraine, that, that we are seeing more C-level, you know, more attention paid to the importance of technology at that strategic level of leadership within organizations. Um, as they begin to recognize this, I know a big part of this study was about skills. So as the more of the leadership within organizations understands the importance of technology, um, then it would extend, I think, to them recognizing that they need the right people in these jobs and the right with the right skills. And that, as we have found in many of our studies at CompTIA, can be a real disconnect. It's really difficult to, um, to, to find people with the right skills who will meet the goals that the leaders within an organization are, are looking, to, uh, looking to meet. Um, so what are some of the you know, ways in which the companies that you work with in the field and Amy with the data, um, are, are companies today kind of to look to assess whatever skills, deficiencies or issues or, you know, things that trying to attain with better skills within their organizations. Cause it seems to me, you got to sort of take stock of what you don't have first and then figure out how you're going to go ahead and fill those gaps. Yeah, definitely. I can start a little bit with the broad general data we have from this study um, that it, surprisingly, just a third of the employees were feeling like they have, their organization has a good handle on even identifying and assessing the skills and skills gaps at, at their organization. So um, maybe a little bit of work to do in that area. But on the other hand, you know, the great majority, they do have training and professional development programs in place, you know, some more so focused on uh, more formal type of strategies, probably more so larger size organizations. Um, and it was just about half, I think, saying that, yeah, they're training professional development programs for technical skills or are um, it's required or mandatory and then most of the remainder it's voluntary it, you know might not be required mm -hmm. but it's strongly encouraged and i'm sure lorraine has has seen many different types of examples working with all those the different uh clients and customers so in my experience companies only assess if they have a reason to do it um mm -hmm. it's not normally something that it happens on a an annual basis or in most companies, it doesn't happen at all. So if there's a reason for it, for instance, a new technology or a new HR manager or whatever the case may be, it's it's normally something strange that happens and somebody decides to do this or a company approach them. And this is where we come in. You're probably familiar with the ITIQ assessment that we do. Um, so that's a very large part of what I do. I go out to corporates, um, big and small, and I offered to do a skills assessment using our certifications as a benchmark. And I show them where the skills gaps are in their teams. And now with our broader certification base, we can look not only at cybersecurity, the infrastructure, we can look at cloud, we can look at a lot of other skills as well. The one I get asked about the most is soft skills, um, which the A plus has some of it in. And I always highlight those. I make sure that our questions include those things like troubleshooting and problem solving, which are important skills for technical people to have. Um, 
But I find that when we do the assessment, they vary. When we talk about the assessment, people are extremely excited about it. And nine out of 10 times, the results are a shock to them. (laughs) They had no idea that it it looked, I have never done an assessment where the (laughs) result was good, never. So it's normally a shock to them and it results in a training plan, uh, which we then of course help them with. But um, as I say, I think people need to do, or companies need to do a bit more of this. Um, Most companies, buy um, training content and they make it available. So there's no structure, it's it's voluntary. Um, and I've worked with, with large corporations before where they do that and they say to me, you know what, um, we think it's going to be a good uptake. And I normally dare them to look at their return on investment after a two-year contract and it, it doesn't look good. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have something structural in place and you have to have a career path for your staff. Um, it all has to be planned and you have to help and encourage people along the way. But there has to be structure. Lorraine, I think that's really interesting. I had never heard that before, that, that companies are only assessing their skills if there's like a trigger event. It reminds me of cybersecurity where companies try to build better cybersecurity after they've already had an incident, which... Uh, you know, is kind of closing the barn door after the horse has already left. But as we start to dive in now to these specific areas, I'm wondering at that beginning point, you know, if companies haven't done an assessment of their skills, do you experience that they still have this sense where we'd like to do better in cybersecurity or we'd like to do better with maybe infrastructure or emerging trends? They've got this sense of where they want to do better, but they haven't quite connected the dots that they should be doing skill assessment and that that their skills are really what needs to get built in order for them to do better in some of these disciplines. The sad thing is that I still don't get many requests from corporates for cybersecurity. Um, I think everybody still thinks it doesn't happen to me, it happens to the guy next door. Um, Interestingly enough, the most inquiries we have and the most business we get for cybersecurity is military, government, police. Those are my customers. They Mm -hmm. are spending a lot of time and effort on this. They do make sure that they, um, you know, they they, um, mandate this internally. They have a program. We do a lot of, um, obviously, we go and see companies and we do a lot of work to encourage them to do it. When I do an assessment, I don't just do A plus and network plus um, because most of the people that we see, we start at the bottom level. I like to do the assessment lower than the person or the group that I'm in, that I'm assessing and also higher than their current skills. And it always brings out very interesting uh, information that the company wasn't aware of. But I still feel that there's a lot of work that can be done around cybersecurity awareness. I don't think that companies do enough. I don't know if you remember, we had a, a cybersecurity awareness course a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. It was the most difficult thing to sell. It was not expensive and we just couldn't get interest in it. And it's sad because that is something that every company should be doing for all your staff. Is this something, Amy, that would was borne out in the data across regions or is this something specific to where Lorraine is, is working um, in terms of this? Um, blind spot to cybersecurity because I'm pretty shocked by this actually. Well, for overall, um, the employers in this study, they were the cybersecurity skills came out on top. It, it, cybersecurity tends to top the list of the surveys um, I've been involved with, but they they 
it's recognized as a priority focus for for they want to build and enhance those skills within their organization, um, among others too. Hmm. When I looked at your graphs um, of the study, I actually smiled because um, most of the companies felt pretty pretty secure that they had satisfactory skills. And this is what I encounter when I go and do the assessment. I love it when I go and see a company and the manager says to me, my staff, A plus, mm, it's too low for them. You know, they are much higher than that, but you can assess them, that's fine. And when you get the findings, it shows a different picture and it's, it's the best feeling to show them that, you know, um, this is what this is the what the assessment can do for you. It is such a powerful tool that mm -hmm. we use when we go to companies. It really, really helps them. Sounds yes. like there's a lot of false confidence out there. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of disconnects too, yeah. Carolyn. I mean, I think that you know, as I'm listening to the conversation, it's making me think of other conversations that I've had around you know companies that want to become skills based, and they they kind of know what's important to them. So I think Amy, to your point around the data, is companies are saying, yeah, cybersecurity is really important to us. We want to do better, but they don't know exactly what that means. And I think that's Lorraine's point around you know they they think that all their skills are completely up to speed. Uh, and so they don't know where the disconnects are. And I think it's through doing these assessments and, and through having a little bit more detail brought in that they can see where the specifics are in their gaps uh, and maybe some of their processes and policies, but especially with their skills. So Lorraine, among the companies that you see that are maybe doing it right, what are they doing um, that makes them stand out among some of your customers, um, the ones who didn't fail these assessments wildly in terms of what their uh, uh, their own assessment of their company is and what the reality was? Are there some out there that are um, what you would call good examples of best practices? So those would be my longer term customers that have changed things. <laughs> but I haven't come across companies. I think the... The, the big thing is, I'm, I'm going to focus on bigger companies now, um, because obviously it's very different when you look at a smaller company. The owner is normally very hands-on. They tend to bring skills in. Um, so it's, it's a much faster environment than a larger company. If there is, the ones that are most successful is if there is a connect be between different departments, HR plays a very important role. And they should be the ones that build career paths and, uh, and help with training and show people what's the next step in my career. I hear this very often from individuals who want to improve themselves. My company doesn't offer it. Um, so there's a, a bank of, of training and I don't really know where to go. Nobody gives me guidance. So your line manager has a lot of other things on his mind. He's running a department and he has customers to serve, he has problems to solve. So he doesn't always think about training for his staff unless it's something that needs to be done right now. It's it's a new product that they have to um, you know, service, a new product they have to support. That's when they do training. But building an individual and helping them you know, to, it's the skills that aren't necessary, necessarily the, uh, based on a product, but the skills that A plus and Network plus, for instance, gives you that foundation. I always find that that's where the disconnect is. Um, they they tend to focus on things that are important right now and not building an individual. So I think collaboration between different departments and having a plan and having a career path is the is is the success here. 
Uh, there, there's so much to unpack here, and we could probably talk for a long time. But as as we're wrapping up, when we get companies to that point when they recognize that they need to do something, they, they've got skill gaps and they they need to take some action. What are the actions that they're taking? Uh, you know, so maybe Amy, start with you. So, you know, say what people think they're doing, and then you know, Lorraine, you can fill us in on what you what actually see doing. people doing. Well, well, through a lot of a different lot of studies. studies um, different types of employers I mean, across the board, they, they need more, they need to fill that gap. Um, they, they're hiring new candidates that they need to train more. I mean, they're putting more focus now on upscaling, but I mean, especially technology tech employees that they, they, they really crave that they want that professional development, continuous learning. So um, yeah, always, always room for improvement. Lorraine can probably elaborate. <laughs> I obviously encourage my customers to upskill internal people. So often when we do the assessment and it's over various departments, we sometimes find a person that's in a different department and the skill level is such that they should be in another department. Yeah. So this is how the assessment has helped customers in the past. But I think um, there's not enough of looking at what you already have because you have a loyal employee already. Why don't you look at those people, assess them, see if you can improve those people and put them in, in other positions. Um, I think people are too, companies are too hasty to look for new skills instead of looking internally. And I think your existing staff is, it's a gold mine and you have to invest in them. Yeah, we often see that in some of the research that we do, that the first look is always to hire from the outside when in fact you can build organically from the inside as well. I think that's... that's if a, I can quickly share one interesting thing, um, obviously, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the uh, skills in Australia. Um, they tend to um, bring skills in from India and China. And there's very large um, agreements between the countries to bring skills into Australia. And during the last two years with COVID, it was not possible to bring mm -hmm. in the skills. And the companies that I went to see for the first time in, a, I don't know how long, they had to actually look internally. And they're reporting to me that they had to look at their own staff and see if they could upskill people. And it worked so well for them that they actually don't need the skills right now. So that was really wonderful to see. Great. Well, that's a fantastic yeah, that's, that's, way to end, end on that good note. <laughs> yeah, it's a perfect place to land. I think it's uh, you know a real validation, I think, of what, what we do here at CompTIA and, and what we're seeing in the workforce. Uh, and so it's great to have Amy's research that's kind of highlighting uh, a lot of these trends. And we'll have a link to that new research that's up on the website in our show notes. Uh, thanks to both of you, Amy and Lorraine, for joining us, especially you, Lorraine, at the, at the end of your day in South Africa. And thanks, as always, to our producer, Andrea McMillan. And Carolyn, I will talk to you next time. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody.